Hey, 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 what's going on? It's Coach Mark here of the Everyday Fitness with Coach Mark Podcast. And I have another special guest today. His name is also Mark, Mark with a C. Mark Hildebrand is a current law enforcement officer from LAPD who struggled through a 100-pound weight loss journey while losing touch with his family and blamed it on his crazy career. After successfully getting into the best shape of his life at 43 years old, he now shows other Leos how to generate the time and energy so they can get into incredible shape, connect with their family on a deep and impactful level, and change the trajectory of their career forever. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the secrets, the secrets behind getting into incredible shape and creating an impact in an impactful family connection, all while owning your career and having more free time to live your life. Let's dive in. Hey, hey um, Mark, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on to Everyday Fitness with Coach Mark. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, Mark and Mark, right? No, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Mark, for inviting me here. I, I've seen some of your stuff come across my newsfeed, and I'm like, man, this guy's making an impact. So uh, when we connected, I'm like, ah, I got to get on this guy's show. So I appreciate you for offering me the opportunity of, of, of uh, giving your people and your listeners some value here today. Yeah, and every um, listener's heard it in the intro already, but I really want to know it from you. Who is Mark Hildebrand? Um, who are you? What are you about? And um, yeah, just give us a little bit of a breakdown. For sure, for sure. So I am a police sergeant from LAPD. Um, I have 18 years on. Um, I struggled with probably a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about here today, my health, my fitness, uh, giving it all to my career, um, like uh, saying that I didn't have enough time. Um, I was not really connected with my family. And um, I was just like the excuse person who like you look at me now and everybody's like, man, like they don't like giving me excuses because um, I know kind of like what that does for you, right? When you start to believe the excuses, it actually creates something in your life that like for me, I did not want to, uh, yeah. didn't want to be a part of anymore. So um, I was able to, after hitting my version of rock bottom, um, be able to lose hundred pounds, um, get into really good shape, uh, create better boundaries around work, still um, lead the way that I wanted to at work, uh, get to the rank of Sergeant two right now. And then also connect better with my family by asking them better questions and the time that I do spend with them, which I wish was more, but, um, you know, you can't spend as, as much time as you possibly can on all the things, but when I do, I'm very intentional and I make sure that I, I bring my energy to those, um, those situations so that I can really feel like I'm connecting with them. So that's kind of like me in a nutshell. Nice. Um, and so I want to dive in right right away. Um, you said you've been with the LAPD for a long time. Uh, what was the actually uh, talking about the rock bottom? What was actually the breaking point uh, that made you change? Because um, I'm I'm sure you've had certain habits for a while, you know, mm -hmm. for a longer time, and um, it's not easy to break them. Uh, we have clients that we. Uh, teach that, uh, how to break habits, how to, um, get a different lifestyle. Um, how was that for you? That's a great question. That's a great question. So my rock bottom was actually when my son was born. Um, he was born one pound, nine ounces. He had to spend 73 days in the hospital in the NICU. Um, and really I wasn't in the place physically or emotionally or any other way, um, like to actually take care of myself and to be able to show up for him, um, like he needed me. And so that was kind of my rock bottom is like, when I realized that like my decision not to make my health and fitness a priority, my decision not to, um, not to do those hard things mm -hmm. wasn't just affecting me. It was actually affecting like my son. 
Um, and so that was kind of that moment where it was like, Hey, it's not just about you. It's not just about being comfortable all the time, doing the same old things over and over again. You've got to ask better questions so that you can get better, um, answers. And, and so that was kind of like that moment where I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something different than I've ever done so that I can have something that I've never had. Right. Yeah. And, and I noticed that in our business too. Like so many people are like pre-programmed with all the things they've done in the past that a lot of times they aren't willing to try new things. Or they're trying the old things over and over and over and over again, and it's really not working. And so um, getting past those limiting beliefs and just like looking for other answers. And ultimately, after trying many different things, um, I found the thing that worked for me, which, you know, it's, it's I wish it was a one size fit all thing, but we got to we have to be willing and have the mindset of going, hey, I don't know how long it's going to take me. But when I find that thing, I just got to make sure that I'm going all in on it. And, um, and that's how I got the results. And when was that exactly uh, when your son was born? Um, how many years ago was that? Um, March of 2009. So 2009. March of 2009. Yeah, okay, so, so about 12 years, years ago. 11, yeah, 12 years ago. ago. Um, what, so in the, in the 12 years, um, give us a little bit of an example. And I want to go at some point to the LAPD, um, especially because I think to me, it's so interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. LAPD, uh, working for them. Um, I, I lived in, in Los Angeles and um, it, it's such a, it's such a cool city to be in, but I'm sure you have some stories. We're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get there. <laughs> yeah. um, but the 12, let, let's say your daily routine um, from waking up to uh, sleeping at night, what would you say you're doing or give us a little bit of like a summary? Yeah, do, do you want me to tell you like what it looks like now or what it looked like back then when I was first making that transition? Yeah, yeah, maybe both. Okay, so back then, I did not have a business. Um, I, if you had asked me, by the way, fast forward, hey, why don't you have a health, fitness mindset and motivation-based business? I'd be like, you are crazy because that was none of me. I was not positive. I was not you know, growth-oriented. I thought like I always had to do things the same way, right? Because that's the way they always had been. But what initially happened when I first started to get on this right path is I would spend about 30 minutes in the morning um, reading something and developing myself. So I would, I would like, fuel my brain, basically kind of like how we tell our time where to go with the schedule. I was telling my mind where to go by reading good personal development. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the fuel where after 30 minutes of reading that, it got me to want to exercise. It got me to want to eat healthier. It got me to want to make sure that I hang out with the right people who are influencing me. Right. And so that's kind of what it looked like. And I would spend more time with the people who lifted me up, the people who also had the same values as me, the people who were also doing hard things like working out. And it just became a natural part of everyday experience for me. Um, and that's kind of like what my life looked back, like back then. And then I would go to work, um, come home from work, spend some time with my family and then rinse and repeat. And then of course, do some, uh, do some special stuff on the weekend. But I just built it into a habit where it was just first fuel me, so that I can fuel and help anybody else, right? It's kind of like that analogy of filling the cup, like you can't pour from an empty cup. That's and good. so what I realized is like, I needed to fill me up, which feels a little selfish at first, but then yeah. later when you're able to deliver, you're like, wow, like I need to fill myself up more. And that's kind of what led me into what I do now. So do you want to transition into that? Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Okay, so my, my life is a little different now because at, after um, succeeding, Uh, with my health and fitness, everybody starts asking you questions, right? They're like, what are you doing? They want like the secret sauce and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I said, you know what? I, I do really need to share like what I have experienced in my journey. And so I started, I created my own business. 
And so now what I do, it looks a little different. Like I still wake up. Now I usually spend about an hour um, filling up my cup. So I'll read some kind of personal development. I'll do a little bit of meditation. I'll do some like reflecting. I'll do a little bit of journaling. I'll do planning out my day, all that kind of stuff. And then for about an hour and a half to two hours, I'll do some coaching where I'll online coach some people. Um, I'll set up some, some calls, some Zoom calls for some people. I'll do a mastermind call, that kind of stuff. Um, get a workout in. And then basically by the time my kids start to wake up, which is like seven o'clock, I'm done. And so I'm like unplugged, time for the kids. Um, this is all my days off. And then I'm just like, I'm, I'm good to go. On my work days, of course, after I get done coaching, then I go to work and then I come home. But on my days off, I try to make sure that a majority of my work, anything that I'm doing for my business is done before they wake up so that I can spend that intentional time with them. That's amazing. Um, let's go right into the LAPD. I'm super interested about it. Um, when I lived in Hawaii, I wanted to become a firefighter and I actually, yeah. Um, yeah, studied for it and uh, all the physical stuff, all the, the mental stuff, which was super interesting to me. I decided against it because I wanted to stay in the fitness field um, yeah. with the company that I built at that point. Um, but Yeah, share a little bit of what made you get into the LAPD. Um, was it hard? Uh, how hard was it? Um, and maybe your favorite story about it. Oh my gosh, I don't even know which story I should share with you. Um, so, so let's just start off in the beginning. So the reason why I got into LAPD, um, my dad worked um, as a police officer as well. And what he would do is he would tell us stories. Um, and I loved those stories. I loved hearing about how he could help people. I loved hearing how he would go into those kind of situations Mm -hmm. And, um, and he got to the point where when we got a little bit older, like I was eight or nine, he would like quiz me and my brother on like questions about it. He's like, okay, if you have this, what would you do as a police officer? And it was just like me and my brother were like going back and forth in the car. We always loved car time because we actually got to, you know, answer those questions. And so it was just a natural progression. So after I, um, after I got really excited about that, I was like, this is it, this is what I'm going to do. And it stayed that way. Um, you know, I went all the way through to um, high school and then went into college. Yeah. And what it, what initially happened um, is I wasn't prepared physically for it. Um, so between the high school to college is when I gained the majority of my weight. Um, I was like 270 pounds. I was like trying to figure out how I'm going to make it through the academy. I was doing like just every crash diet that you could possibly imagine, killing myself, running on an empty stomach, supplements, and like I would lose a little bit of weight and then it would come yeah. back on. And I just felt terrible, you know, when you're not fueling it right. Yeah. yeah, you're not feeling well, right? Exactly. And so I was able to go and and actually get into the um, the academy, which was pretty tough, um, but I still wasn't healthy. I still was like trying to like, you know, find that, that magic pill or whatever that was going to work. And so, you know, that, that's what got me into the department. And it wasn't until I had a certain amount of years on. Would you, that, would you say the majority of people that get into the police academy are similar to how you started? Uh, are there, because I'm sure there's people that are maybe not struggling physically, that maybe struggling right. more mentally and vice versa. Yes. Um, but I've never been in police academy. So my, yeah. <laughs> I just watched the movies when I was in Germany, which is probably not the right thing, but, um, <laughs> how is it there? You know, like, uh, every mixture, are, every picture, A every, every variance. You have people who are like the elite people. Um, yeah. they call them the guide-ons. They're the ones who care. They carry the class flag. They're yeah. the ones who run out in front of everybody. And then you have yeah. everybody else. And uh -huh. there's like people way at the back who have to be by the van and they have to get picked up every once in a while and be brought up to the other groups of people. But majority of the people were in the middle. And then you had some people who totally rocked it and you had people way on the end. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like this, this, 
it's it's every every size and every shape. What people tend to think is like, oh, police officers, they got to take care of themselves. They're probably like really well fit. That is false news. That is not true. As a matter of fact, when people come on the department, the most healthiest that they are generally ever are is when they exit from the academy. After that, it just goes downhill. I mean, at LAPD, we don't have any physical standards. You don't have to pass a certain test unless you're taking like SWAT or you're trying to get on Metro. So you'll notice that it starts to creep, creep way down. Um, And so that's like my mission really is to not make it creep down and instead to creep it back up. Got it. And and you are helping uh, police officers to do that. That's that's I one am. of the main focuses, right? That's um, how what do you teach them? How do you how do you pick them up basically? Because I think um, they all have a certain level, um, a certain mental capacity. Uh, they're probably also stressed out with their jobs, maybe with yes. their families, right? Um, which mm-hmm. is normal. Um, how do you pick them usually up? That's a great. That's a great question. Um, so. I, I focus a little bit differently than what most fitness health related trainers do. I focus a lot on mindset. Um, so what I found is like throughout my journey, um, when I succeeded and when I failed, it had a lot to do with the people that I surrounded myself with mm-hmm. and what I put and allowed into here. Um, yeah. and, and it was less the tactics and more of the mindset because, and I asked this question to a lot of people, I'm like, Hey, if you actually showed up and did like, let's say 50% of what, you know, you should be doing, mm-hmm. like how many, how much results would you get? And everybody's like, I would be getting a ton of results because I know what I need to do, but I'm not doing it. And so really what I do is I create an environment of other police officers, other first responders, because I also help help like firefighters and EMTs. And I put them into an environment of people who want to grow, people who want to become better and not just with their health and fitness, but also like with their parenting, get closer with their spouse and also like really just create leaders of leaders. And when you surround yourself with people like that, who are constantly growing, people are reading and things like that, it just naturally lifts everybody up to the next level. And it, it's, there's experience of, of exponential results. And so that's what I do is I create that environment. I actually have a private app that I invite people to who um, qualify for the team. And I put them in this environment so it can literally lift them up. And yes, we help them with like how to eat and the, the like maybe some questions that you can talk and ask your family to really connect better and yeah. leadership strategies. But really, it's just like the group in and of itself. We influence that environment is completely influencing everything that you're doing. Even if you think it's not, you know, if you're struggling in an area, I want you to like think about the five people you spend the time with. They're probably struggling in that area too. And it's just natural. We're human beings like that. It's just natural for us to kind of do that. It's super interesting to me because I mean, what you explained beforehand, what you did with yourself, right? The 30 mm-hmm. minutes in the morning, um, getting your mind right, growing, um, you're doing with them, like just the environment. Yes. I think it's so, exactly. so, so important. Let's say uh, I have friends that never worked out, right? And they become friends. All of a sudden they see me working out and you pull yep. them into it, right? Yep. Um, I think environment is so important. What is, let's say, because I want to get to know you and get to know your your company a little bit more. Um, how do you, so so you have a mastermind, you have people mm-hmm. in the environment. How does it look? Let's say I'm a first responder, I'm, maybe I'm a firefighter and I want to enter your program. Uh, what's the first step? So there's an application that you fill out, but I want to I kind of break down like um, the three things so there's three main pillars that I talk about. And then there's there's actually also three things that we do inside the mastermind to create this kind of environment. So, so our pillars are physical, mental, and emotional health. So our health, right? That's the, that's the bottom foundation. The second is creating an epic connection with our family. 
mm-hmm. whether it's your significant other or your kids. And the third is like, um, basically like still continuing to own your leadership abilities while you're at work, because you mm-hmm. can do all three of those. As a matter of fact, when one lifts up, the other ones can lift up even higher. Right. Absolutely. And so these are our core pillars. So the application is just to find out and make sure that you are, that you value those three things. Makes Cause there's sense. people who want to get in great shape, but they don't care about their family. I don't want them on my team, to be honest, because they're going to pull everybody down, right? Mm-hmm. There's people who don't value the leadership that they have at work. And all they want to do is like get in better shape. I don't want them either. And so these three pillars have to be a part of your life before you would even apply to be on our team. Now, once you're inside our team, we do three things. Number one is um, we do weekly calls. That's yeah. where I get together and I facilitate. And I'm like the coach who's a few steps ahead of everybody. And I get them to learn something and then to actually communicate with each other to like pull out like the things from like, cause success leaves clues, right? So pull out the successes and kind of share it with everybody in the group. And it just gets people to level up with the tactics and the mindset. And so I do that once a week. Second thing is I create an environment in the app where people can go into, they can watch short videos. They can watch, listen to short podcasts. They can read short posts, Mm -hmm. not only from me, but other coaches that I have on my team to keep you not only from call to call motivated, but to like fill it up for like, when you're like, Hey, I really need something today. Like we all have days that we wake up and we're just not ready to go. I know people think uh, Mark, no man, Mark always wants to work out. He always always wants, (laughs) hell no. There's going to be days you're like, okay, I need to be filled up. And that's what we do inside the app. The third thing is, is we have a tracker. And the reason why a tracker is so important. Um, it's the accountability piece, but also here's the thing. When you start getting involved in this busy life that we have, it's very easy to convince yourself that you don't have enough time to do these things, to do like your family and to do like your health and fitness and to do your business and to do your career and to do this thing. And I'm here to tell you that you can, but you have to first identify the most important activities to do and then track it to make sure when you're getting on point and when you're not. So when I implemented the tracker with this, with my team, it was like an aha experience. They were able to identify what was the most important to them, plug into it and have everybody else kind of see like when they were plugging into it. And it just got them to like level up in less time. Cause everybody's like, oh my God, it's going to take too much time. And I'm like, well, it is if you do it wrong, but if you identify the most important activities and you eliminate or outsource the other ones, you're going to get better results and in less time. So really th- those are the three things that we do. That's amazing. Um, I believe all, the, all of the three things that you're teaching are so, so crucial because, I mean, we have so many uh, self-help books, right? Uh, we read yeah. them and uh, everything's fine. We love the book. And then the next day comes and what are we going to do really with it? Do exactly. You know, like, and I think yes. that's, that's a, such a big, big part or the most important part, how to implement, how to change your habits, uh, your subconscious mind even, right? Um, yes. All these things are so, so important. Um, coming back to the LAPD, because super interesting to me. And uh, yeah. the last year, especially we had a debate with what happened right last year. I don't want to yeah. bring it up necessarily. I don't want to go into like racist debates, but I believe you have a lot of uh, fun stuff to share regarding that. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure, especially in Los Angeles, it's so diverse, right? I mean, there's black officers, there's white officers, Asian yes. officers, right? Um, and you, your teammates, basically, I feel like, and I come from a, from a soccer background. I grew up with all races and, mm-hmm. That's how I grew up. It was just completely normal to me. Right. right? Um, what are the stories? What do you experience in daily life in LA as a police officer? Um, I think if you could sh- shed a little bit of light of it, um, would be nice. 
Yeah. Okay. So let, let me go into that first piece that you talked about. I think the, the great opportunity that we have in Los Angeles is that exact thing. Like we are surrounded by different races, different colors, different sexes. I mean, so many different things. Mm-hmm. It literally like opens up our mind to like many different aspects of life that maybe we wouldn't if we were just like all separated. Right. And what I love most about that is my kids, right? My kids, because they are to them, everybody's the same. same. Like they don't care what the color is. They don't care what language they speak. They don't care. They're like, this is just, and I'm like, I want to make sure that I never influence or now trying to not let anybody influence that for them. Yeah. Right. Cause everybody is like that is created the same. And it's just, it's, I think it's a great opportunity in Los Angeles. Cause you actually experience it. Like, I can't tell you how many radio calls I've gone into where you go and you go, okay, there's, there's something cultural here that I don't really understand yet, but I like, I want to understand, like I, I, I want to really understand why this person isn't talking to me. Like I didn't understand why sometimes when I went into a home, like the woman would not talk to me. She would not like, and, and I had to find another woman officer before she would talk. And so there was like, there's a lot of like opportunities to really grow in a city like this, where you have all of this diversity. So um, that was to answer your first question. Now, your second question, what was that? Yeah, the second question was just basically um, like a story. If you can shed some light from from experience, because LA is a is a special city. It's one of the biggest mm-hmm. in the world. There's probably different stories than in a small town, right? Um, what is one story or maybe two that instantly pop up in your mind that made this job special? Mm. Okay. I was going to tell you a story, but then you just ended it with that made this job special that twisted it off. So here's the thing. Um, first off, I just want to say this, like if you have any other police officers who are listening, like everybody thinks that LAPD is just way different, like on a different level. And I'm here to say, we're not, we just have to, we have more people to deal with. We have more situations, more radio calls. Like it's the same here as it's in, in another town. It's just over there. There's not so many people. All right. So there's no difference between us. I know everybody's like, Oh my God, LAPD and training. And they're in the video- movies. And stuff. We are just the same as everybody else. So I want to really say that. We do get to experience so much, especially a lot of seeing a lot of trauma that one human being should never see, but we see it all the time. Like, it's just like, and it's what's, what's kind of crazy. And I I don't know if the general public kind of feels this, but sometimes you just have to laugh about it because if you didn't laugh, you'd be crying and you wouldn't be able to respond like that. That's just the way that it is sometimes that you're like, this is so terrible. Like I've got to find like another Avenue with my, with, with my body to make it so that I just don't physically and mentally break down. Cause there's been many times that I've had to go see a therapist, a police psychologist because of the things that I, I have seen. And so that's something that is constantly happening now. Um, a story. So I remember, um, I was, I was maybe like five or six on the de- years on the department. And, um, I had my partner working with my partner. Cause in LAPD, we work, we have partners. Um, a couple calls that I did not like to handle a couple calls. I didn't like to handle anything that involves like a sexual assault or a rape or anything that involves a child abuse. Mm-hmm. Like I kids like, Oh, it's not good when you see what some humans do to their kids. Right. So it's getting to be what's called end of watch. We're, meaning it's almost time to go home. And we're like starting to head towards the, t- towards um, our uh, office to kind of like pack it all in and go home. It's been a 12 hour shift. And a radio call comes out of a um, child abuse call and the other units could have handled it, but it happened in our area. And so I I was just, you know, kind of struggling with my partner. Like, man, I like, I would really like to go home. I'm freaking exhausted. I know another officer will step up. 
and like take care of this. But like just the comments of the call really connected with me. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think anybody would do as good a job as I do because that is like, that was an emotional one. It was, um, see the girl. I think she was two years old, um, who had electrical cord, um, marks on her arms and her, her back. And so I'm like, okay, I, I, we got to go do this. And so I convinced my partner, we go, we go over there. Um, and we go to this house and I won't give you all the details, but basically there was multiple kids and this two-year-old was the only one that was not the biological uh, kid of the dad. So we had the mom and the dad. She had this two-year-old like with another guy mm. and all the other kids there were his. None of them had any physical marks, but this two-year-old, she had like um, uh, like the whip marks from, from the electrical cord on her, on her arm and her body. And she also had um, a broken arm. Like her arm was broken and it was like in a cast. And so we get there and I can tell you like when, if you have a two-year-old, it's very hard to communicate and find out what happened, right? And then how, how much of it can you believe? Yeah, exactly. Because you get a kid that's like three, four, five, they're going to tell you, oh my God, like they've told you every kind of story. You can't, you don't really know if it actually existed. Sure, sure. And so um, we had to interview the parents and then we started to interview the kids. And I noticed that the kids were a little bit nervous when mom and dad were in the same room. Oh. So I was like, Hey, you know what? This is what we got to do. Come over here. Um, my partner will start doing the paperwork. I'll come over here, finish this up so we can get out of your hair really quickly. And they decided they were like, okay. So I took the kids individually into the room and they were, they started to tell me, Oh no, they do this. They do this. They do this. They beat her. They do. And I'm like, Oh my God. That's- so is the first real like actual like child abuse that I'm like, okay, wh- what do we have to do now? Here's, here's like the really upsetting part of this is when you have a child abuse like this, because it's like children that are telling you generally, they don't want you to arrest the person. They just want you to take the kids out of the house, make sure they're safe and leave that person so that later, if they decide to file charges, they'll file charges. So that night I had to take the kids, which totally pissed the mom and the dad off. Right. I had to take them out and basically take them kind of like to a foster home. And I remember um, I remember stopping like on the way at like a McDonald's. Cause I'm like, Hey guys, are you hungry? And they were like, yeah, we're really hungry. So I stopped and I got, I'm like, Hey, what do you guys want? And for some reason, like they thought it was like super awesome that I let them choose whatever they wanted on the menu. So we got it. They ate. And I still remember like the two-year-old, which like, she was like, this is the first time that I've ever been able to, to choose the food that I get to eat. And like, this is the first time that I'm, I'm that she was fulfilled. And it was just like this weird, weird, like I think it was kind of like an out-of-body experience just to say like, hey, like this is the kind of impact that I can make because she's going to remember this forever, right? She's going to remember that finally, like she was able to be, and she didn't think it was, she was like, yeah, I said, I I talked back. So they hit me over here. She thought it was normal. Like you're supposed to get treated that way. Yeah. Um, And I still remember now later on the line, going to court and um, just all that whole process of going onto the stand, telling them all about this stuff. Um, and I think that would be like that moment because it made me feel and realize like, okay, like being a police officer is not the, I don't know how to say this, like being a police officer, like I love doing that, but it's not a profession. It's kind of like a thankless profession. A lot of times, a lot of times they see what's in the media or they see something that's going on outside there. They see somebody, which by the way, all of those, there's nothing that a police officer hates more than a bad cop. All right. Like I can tell you, like when people, we see that. 
we, it pisses us off a lot too. And then that's kind of like what everybody thinks about. They don't see these behind the scene things. They don't see these opportunities that we kind of create. And so when you said that last thing at the end, like what, what brought you the most happiness that did, because number one, I didn't, I didn't need to tell anybody about that. To be honest, I don't even remember having this conversation with anybody else. It was just in my mind knowing that, Hey, this is kind of like what I'm doing um, for this kid. And, and it's crazy because it's just like what any other human being would do. Unfortunately, she was just put in that situation where, where her stepdad was like kind of beating her. So, um, that is one that that's like ingrained in my brain. Um, and it's been like, I don't know, 13, 14 years since that actually happened. Wow. Um, I mean, it gives me chills because I have a daughter too. She's eight and um, (laughs) it's quite a story. Um, I want to find a transition from seeing something like this, right? Mm-hmm. That you've probably seen a lot of times and, and every police officer, especially in LA and, and anywhere in the country. Um, how do you not bring this home to your family? And mm-hmm. especially with a growth mindset that you were talking about, how do you flip that and make it positive in your day? That's, that's a great question. So in the beginning, I wouldn't, I would actually just sit with it for a little bit. So, um, I am, I'm like Mr. Positive, like everybody loves how I can like reframe positively reframe things, but there's, there's something to be said by actually just sitting in that for a little bit, like experiencing, experiencing it in your body for a little bit, because sometimes we run from it so much, it actually keeps it with us a lot more. So what I have learned to do is just like, just sit with it for a little bit and go, okay, this is like what anger feels like. And this is the reason why I feel like that way. And like, and start asking myself questions like what opportunity does this actually create for me? Like, how can I use this or use this story to actually impact or help other people? And um, how do you prevent it from bringing it home? You can't prevent it from bringing it all home. Like you, I wish that I could say that I was just going to compartmentalize it, but it would like literally break me up, break me down. Now I didn't go home and tell everybody about it. Like I, I wouldn't do anything like that, but I like, it would be a part of my day. I would, I, I would hug my kids a little bit harder that day. Yeah. I would hug my wife a little bit harder that day. Um, I would do those kind of things and I would talk to other people about it. Um, I, I used to talk to my wife about it, but then I stopped because I noticed it brought her a lot of anxiety just from talking around it about it. So, I mean, some of these incidents I've had to see a police psychologist for, so that way he can guide me through it. But most of the time I can like, I can focus my, my, my mind on like, Hey, this happened and this is just a part of it, right? How might I use this to actually move me in the direction that I want to move or help the future situation. So this doesn't happen. Um, and, and just like asking myself that question, which if you're a life coach, like asking yourself powerful questions is how you reframe things. Um, you're open to like now finding that answer. You don't need to find it in that moment. If you're open to it, it'll present itself. Yeah. Just listening to you, um, talk about the stories, uh, about your systems that you have in place to help, uh, police officers, um, first responders, I think they're so amazing. I, I actually want to sign up for it. <laughs> um, they're so good. Um, just tell us a little bit about where to find you, um, what people can expect, et cetera, et cetera. Because I feel like every first responder needs to be in touch with you right now. <laughs> That's what I feel um, because you're doing such a great job with that. Um, just tell us a little bit about that. I appreciate it. First off, thank you very much for allowing me and for asking that question. And thank you very much for that, um, that kudos. I, I greatly appreciate it. It goes very, very far. Um, 
So a couple of places you could find me. Um, I'm on all the social media. So I'm on Instagram, I'm Leo Family Fitness, on uh, Facebook, I'm First Responder Fitness with Mark. I also have my own podcast. It's called the Leo Family Fitness Podcast. That's where you get the free stuff. But to be honest, like the best stuff is inside the mastermind. Um, but once again, you have to apply. You have to uh, um, fill out an application, which I have inside of my profile and all that stuff. You'll find it on my podcast and stuff like that. So if you like free stuff where you like to just be plugging into things and getting the energy and and uh, because energy and motivation is contagious, just like results are, you start hanging around with other people who are getting, who are energized and can, and, and like, it's literally going to flow into yeah. you. Um, definitely take from one of those free resources. And if you want to take a deeper dive, uh, reach out and I'll, uh, I'll share with you that application that's awesome yeah i can't thank you enough for what you shared today um it was a pleasure talking to you and i hope we can do this uh, in the future again um thank you so much mark absolutely mark you are a great interviewer interviewer you asked amazing questions if people come back and say hey this is a great interview had nothing to do with me it had everything to do with your awesome questions so thank you for that i appreciate that thank you so much we hope that you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Fitness with Coach Mark. Hopefully you're feeling fired up and motivated to get going. All it takes is just 30 minutes per day. Get your hands on Coach Mark's incredible free workout challenge or join him live for an online workout every single week by going straight to completethechallenge.com. Super easy to remember, completethechallenge.com. Don't forget, the key to results is consistency. Join us for the next episode of Everyday Fitness with me, Coach Mark, every Monday and Thursday.